Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador on a hot, intensely hot, um, Las Vegas day. I, you know, it's hot. Obviously, it's Las Vegas. What are you going to do uh, in June? Um, but it's really hot right now. So, uh, and as a result of that, um, the Raiders are, are moving their practice tomorrow, the first day of minicamp, to seven thirty. They had been out on the field uh, at ten thirty uh, a.m., but uh, it's just too hot for that. Um, <laughs> you know, to be doing it at ten o'clock. I mean, we're talking about well over 100 degrees even at 10 30 a.m so 7 30 it is uh we'll be uh, up in adam and uh, out of practice and have a full report uh tomorrow uh when we uh, reconvene at four between four and six o'clock uh, tomorrow on raider nation radio 9 20 a.m here in las vegas obviously you can also catch it uh, on the live stream over at raiders.com uh but Looking forward to tomorrow, looking forward to seeing especially where guys line up and who lines up where in terms of starting positions. I know it's early, uh, but it kind of gives you an idea of where the Raiders uh, are already uh, leaning. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend, my teammate over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, you can catch all of his work uh, by downloading the app Vegas Nation uh, or going online uh, to VegasNation.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all of our stories, all of our podcasts, all of our photos, all of our videos. Everything that we do is right there uh, for uh, you guys, and uh, we're happy to do it. Sam, how are you doing, my friend? Doing good, Vinny. I'm, I'm trying, trying to stay cool out here. That's the key word, trying, because it is tough. I cannot imagine practicing with, 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 with a helmet on and, and, and having to run around in this. So uh, understandable that the Raiders want to get going up and early, because it is hot, even with nope. air conditioning on no question about it, and uh, and Sam. By the way, you could follow him at by Sam Gordon. Sam Gordon uh, grew. You grew up in Minnesota, right, Minneapolis? Yes, I did. Born and raised. Okay, so I know that it could get humid uh, in in Minneapolis. There's no question about that. Uh, at least for a couple of months uh, out of the year. Um, how long have you been in Las Vegas, and and how long did it kind of take you? Not that everyone ever gets used to this, but you know, you 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 kind of can brace for it and and mentally prep yourself to for the fact that you're just going to have to deal with intense heat for 90 days, some days a little bit more intense than, than others. But how long did it take you uh, to adapt? Well, my first summer out here, Benny, was 2017. And that was, you know, that was a beast. No question about it. I would say by my second summer, by 2018, I was, I, I had an idea of what to expect and could prepare for it a little bit and could adjust for it um, a, a little bit more. But like you said, you never get fully adjusted to it. And, you know, uh, we, I stay inside as much as I can during the summer. I'm not a professional athlete who has to be outside for my job. So um, I, I am able to take a lot of a lot of precautions and be really safe. But, you know, 115, you know, the, the, yeah, it gets humid in Minneapolis and there, there's a, there's some moisture in the air. But, you know, dry heat, wet heat, 115, Vinny, is 115. They're like, they're, they're, that's, there's, it's, it's really hot. And uh, I'm still working my way through it, but at least I have a better idea of what to expect and know how to prepare for it, staying plenty hydrated. Um, do what I can to keep my house, my apartment cool, and, and going from there. 
And in the Raiders case, um, one of the things that they can do, kind of like the high school programs out here, my son uh, plays over at Coronado High School. They're starting at 7.30 in the morning, too, during their summer program. Um, so, you know, if all these great high school programs and, and UNLV, when they get started, uh, can handle it, so can a team and, or an NFL team. And one way they do that is starting practice uh, much earlier, uh, 7.30. Now, you know, there, there are some issues to that. That means meetings start, you know, six o'clock in the morning, if not earlier. Um, and, and the day gets a little bit longer because you have to start a little bit earlier. So there's some logistic issues and whatnot. But the bottom line is these guys got to get their work in. And this is a critical point uh, of the season. And even if it means starting at 730, which they'll do at training camp as well, you got to do what you got to do to deal with the elements um, here in Las Vegas. But as it relates to what we're potentially going to see uh, tomorrow, anything in particular uh, that that you want to focus in on uh, when they when they do hit the field tomorrow at seven thirty? Yeah, a couple things. And, and we talked, we touched on one of those things in, in, on our podcast this morning, uh, first and ten on VegasNation.com. But uh, the secondary, right? Like they're they, this this team. Added reinforcements to the secondary. You bring in a veteran like Casey Hayward. You bring in a Carl Joseph. You draft a Tyree Gillespie. Uh, Damon Arnes back for year two. Like like you said, who's going to be lining up where, and how do you build out that defense? Where are there going to be competition? Who's going to who's going to vie for that slot cornerback role? Right. I mean, Casey Hayward told us last week he's pretty much been you know he's been exclusively working on the outside, and we know that historically he's been a, a very good outside corner, as evidenced by his two Pro Bowl selections. In, 20, uh, in 2016 and 2017 with the Chargers, what does that mean to Damon Arnett? Does he get bumped inside? And is that the worst thing in the world? Because Casey Hayward played in the, on the inside with the Green Bay Packers and then evolved over time, got better, improved, and was moved to the outside. And, and plus, we know how important um, the slot receiver is today in the modern NFL. And you see uh, different guys lining up uh, to create matchup issues in the slot. That is a super important position. So regardless of who ends up on the outside, who ends up on the inside, I think it's crucial that the Raiders get guys that can function at a high level at both spots. Uh, another another position group I want to look at that I'm sure I've been super curious about, you know, for quite some time now is the offensive line, right? Like, how is that group starting to come together? What does Alex Leatherwood look like? How is his development coming along? And it's going to be a brand new group. Uh, it was such a veteran veteran unit for so long, and and a very very good unit at that. But now this team is turning the pages. They're getting younger, they're, they're getting more athletic, and they're building out the future of this offensive line. So I want to see how that group is continuing to mesh, continuing to gel, and, and what kind of momentum and continuity that, that they can build before training camp. Because when we heard from Richie Incognito a couple weeks ago um, during OTAs, during the voluntary portion of the OTAs, he talked about how this is, where you, this is how you prep for training camp. It's these summer months, it's these dog days, it's the, it's the mini camp, it's the OTAs, it's all that. So... How is that group coming together, and how, how ready can that group be? Yeah, obviously you're not going to be you know, ready to play week one with a whole new unit, but how ready can you be for training camp to build on the foundation that they've laid these last few weeks? So that, that's, that's definitely um, who I'm going to be looking at, and uh, as well as you know, what's, what does the backfield look like? You had a great piece uh, over the course of the weekend about Kenyon Drake and the versatility that he brings. Uh, this is a guy who's been a feature back but can also do different things as a pass catcher. How is he going to continue to develop, and what plans do the Raiders have for him? We, we imagine him as a very, very versatile player. I want to see how that continues to emerge moving forward as we get closer to the training camp, because you didn't bring him in at that price tag for no reason. He's going to be a valuable member of this offense, and, and how can he help take what was a very good offense? How can he help um, leave his imprint on it moving forward? 
We're talking to Sam Gordon, uh, my great teammate over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. You could follow him at by Sam Gordon, uh, but also you can catch all of his work and mine for that matter uh, by downloading the Vegas Nation app or going to VegasNation.com. Uh, We've got you covered from A to Z uh, on the Raiders uh, between the podcasts and the videos and uh, all the great stories and photos and everything uh, that everybody's pitching in and uh, trying to do the best job possible uh, for all of great uh, the great Raider fans that uh, that that tune in, we appreciate uh, all you fans for doing just that, and and, and readers uh, who who click and uh, follow our work. Uh, we really do appreciate it. You're the reason why uh, we we do all of this. Uh, Sam, you you brought up a good point, and uh, that was um, you know, hey, uh, Casey Hayward and Damon Arnett, right? And um, one of those guys is going to probably win the outside cornerback position. Then that means. Probably one of them may either be in a reserve role or move over to slot. Um, one of the keys to that could be, could Damon Arnett, if Casey Hayward, um, let's say he just wins that that perimeter outside cornerback position, um, can Damon Arnett successfully move inside? And, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that's exactly what Casey Hayward did to start his yep. career. Remember, he was a slot cornerback to start his career with the Green Bay Packers, who eventually um, you know, phased over to outside cornerback, where he's been playing now for you know four or five years or so. Um, do you think, I mean, it, 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 let's say Casey Hayward is that outside cornerback. Is Damon Arnett somebody that can move inside successfully, maybe bide his time there, um, and then make the similar transition that Casey Hayward did to outside cornerback? Yeah, I think so. And and to tell you the truth, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't think that would be a bad situation for either guy. If Casey Hayward, with his experience, with his familiarity with Gus Bradley, with his track record, is a better fit on the outside right now, then so be it. Because, again, the slot cornerback is really, really important in today's NFL. And we, we saw Damon Arnett, you know, struggle a little bit on the outside. I think the, the, the physical nature of the NFL was something he had to adjust to, like you pointed out. Um, he's bigger, you know, has a full offseason, is, is healthy now, has, doesn't have to deal with a hand injury the way he did the past two years, which really limits your ability to build up your upper body in the weight room and whatnot. But with, but, but if, if, if he has to make that adjustment, I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, I, I think there's always this expectation that, that first-round picks have to come in and be impact guys from day one, right? Like, come in, be an impact guy, you have to change, change life immediately. And I don't – yeah, that would be nice. And it doesn't always happen that way for some first round picks. And who's to say that, that, that this is the route that this is what's gonna end up happening. But my point is is if it takes Damon Arnett an extra year or two and he can be valuable and a valuable contributor on the slot before moving outside, if that makes the Raiders a better football team, then that's a successful that's a successful situation nonetheless. And of course, you know, the, 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 there's more glory by being an outside corner, by having that reputation of, of playing on the outside and having the opportunity to check these elite wide receivers week in and week out. But I don't think it's necessarily about that. It doesn't have to necessarily be about that. If Damon Arnett is, is at his most impactful in the slot for, for this season, uh, then, then I think that's a great situation for the Raiders. It means Casey Hayward can still play. He can still ball and do his thing on the outside. And you have Damon Arnett waiting in the wings. Uh, even though he has that first-round pedigree, still an impact player in the slot and then can grow and transition into somebody who can play on the outside. Yeah, and uh, it's important, as you said. But you know, it, it's 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 
for us to sit here and, and just say, yeah, Damon Arnett can move uh, inside to the slot. It's, it's much easier said uh, than done. Sure. And, you know, uh, Mike Mayock touched on this, the Raiders general manager, uh, talking about Amik Robertson trying to make that transition from the outside to the inside. Now, granted, I don't think he, you know, Damon Arnett at least has some slot cornerback in his past over at Ohio State. Um, but again, this is the NFL, not the Big Ten, so we all know that. Whereas Amik pretty much played exclusively on the perimeter uh, in college uh, and got played very, very little, if any, in the slot. So his transition was even tougher. But that's the thing that we can't like foresee or foretell or predict, which would be, oh, yeah, just move Damon Arnett uh, inside. Well, we don't know if he can uh, you know, pull that off. We, we really don't know. We're going to have to see it. And I suspect just doing some you know, uh, touching in, you know, with, uh, with people. I don't think the Raiders are that sure of that either yet. You know, they're going to have to see that uh, as well, which Sam, if he can't, uh, and Casey Hayward is the outside uh, cornerback, or if Casey or if Damon Arnett wins the uh, outside cornerback spot, uh, and then you ask Casey to move inside, I don't know when you when when we talked to him over the you know last week, it didn't sound like Casey Hayward was all that interested in moving inside. Now he said that he would do what the team asked him to do, but you know you could read between the lines and and look at body language when he was saying that to us. It sure seemed like he wanted to stay out on the perimeter, which leads me to this question: yeah. Who becomes the slot cornerback? That, I mean, it's such a fascinating question at this point, and it's not a small question because. You know, the, the third cornerback at that position in the slot is going to be on the field almost as much as any of your quote-unquote starters. Yeah, it is a fascinating question. I think that's, that's, and that's why these – that's why mini camps are important. Like, that's why OTAs are important. That's why training camp and having a full training camp is really, really important is to, to figure these things out. Um, is there an avenue in which maybe Rasul Douglas moves inside? I don't know. What about Keyshawn Nixon? What about Amik Robertson? Maybe year two for Amik, having that opportunity to go through a full offseason, have that full program. I mean, he's a young player. Um, and having a full year of film under his belt, maybe maybe it's it. Like, we don't know. And like you said, that's what makes this thing so fascinating. I certainly get where Casey Hayward's coming from, right? Like, this is a veteran, veteran football player, former pro bowler, who's had a really, really good career. And a lot of that career has been spent on the outside and has been as an impactful player on the outside. He's only 31. He'll be 32 by the time the season starts. Like, you would think that he still has some good football left, but maybe it's the, it's the best situation for the team if he does kick back on the inside, if Damon Arnett wins that, wins that top corner job. And at least we know at the NFL level, like Casey Hayward has proven to be a, a, a productive slot corner. So it's a really, really fascinating development. I, I think what works well for the Raiders is that this year, they're in a position where they have more depth. Like, there's a legitimate competition and there's a legitimate conversation that we, you and I can have, like we're having right now, where there are options, right? Where there are at least theoretical options where you have got different guys you can work out and, and see who fits best um, at that particular spot. Where, as of, you know, last year, I don't know if that was the case. I mean, it was a young defense with no offseason, um, trying to kind of find its way as the season went along, and we saw how that played out. So I think just having more depth, and addressing the depth in the secondary, on the defense as a whole, of course, but particularly in the secondary, um, it, it sets up the Raiders to at least be able to create some competition and have some options and have different players that they can evaluate to see who, who ends up winning that job and, and who ends up uh, making a difference in that spot. Because like you said, it's really, really important. 
uh, slot receivers are a huge part of the modern NFL, and they have been for several, you know, going on a decade plus now. And uh, just because whoever ends up at that role isn't on the outside and doesn't have that glory doesn't mean they're not an equally valuable part of that defense. It takes all 11. I mean, football's the ultimate team game. That's what my coaches used to tell me. Football's the ultimate team game. And in order for this defense to be at its best, it's going to need 11 guys in sync. And that, that might mean swallowing some pride or, you know, swallowing some ego and, 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 and taking one for the team. But that's why you have a, a bunch of different defensive backs now this year as opposed to last year to see who's willing to do that and who can excel in the slot. Yeah, and you know, last year when Lamarcus Joyner did go down, uh, and there were there was a time uh, in a game where he went down. Amik Robertson uh, was the next man up, and uh, you know, I, I feel bad saying this for Amik, but it was kind of a disaster. I think the very first play was a big play right at Amik Robertson, so he just wasn't quite ready to uh, to handle that at that moment. That's why this is so – we don't even know who the Raiders are going to start at that position, let alone who that first guy is off the bench should some sort of an injury happen. So, But I like where you're headed. Uh, the fact that we're talking about there's – there's a bunch of names that are in that hopper, um, and it just seems like there's more depth, uh, whether it's just to fill that starting position or, or back it up. Uh, but it sure will be fascinating to watch it all unfold because I don't think the Raiders have a clear idea – just yet themselves uh, how this is all uh, going to play out. Uh, Sam, thanks so much uh, for spending uh, some time with us in the huddle. Uh, I'm sure you're going to watch the uh, Golden Knights game tonight. Uh, how do you feel game about uh, their chances? What do you think is going to happen in game one? Uh, I think after they slayed the Dragon, right, the Colorado Avalanche were the top seed, and they hadn't lost four straight games all year. And all of a sudden, the Golden Knights come along uh, and, and put them out four times in a row and really do so decisively. Uh, at T-Mobile Arena here in Game 6. I think they ride that momentum. Uh, we know that T-Mobile Arena is arguably the best home ice advantage in the league. It's no no, no advantage restrictions now. I think that the, uh, the Golden Knights ride that momentum off of that previous victory over the Avalanche, at least into a Game 1 victory. I like their chances in this series. I think they get it done in six games and, and go advance to the Stanley Cup. I mean, the goaltending's there. They're deep. The depth is in place. You, you have multiple forwards and centers that can create offense, and you're deep on, on the defensive side of the ice as well. So um, it's a really complete team, uh, and one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup all year. And, and uh, I know the city is certainly excited and has rallied behind this group, and I uh, can't wait to see how it unfolds because when the Knights are rocking and rolling the way they are now, um, the city has a different buzz to it. And that it, it, you, that we're just getting a sense. I mean, can you imagine, Vinny, if the Raiders put together a playoff run? Like, this place is going to go nuts. So uh, I like the Knights in six. They advanced their second Stanley Cup in four years, which feels pretty amazing. Uh, unbelievable, even as I say it to you now. Last question for you. I know that you're a fellow hoop head uh, like myself. Uh, at this stage now, after everything that's happened, including an injury now to Kyrie Irving, which looks like it might be problematic for the Nets, um, who do you got winning the? Who do you got going to the NBA Finals? And who do you got winning? Vinny, I, this is this is tough, right? This this playoffs, this this NBA season feels a lot of ways like an NFL season in the sense that it's a war of attrition and whoever can remain the healthiest um, is going to win the whole thing. And when I look at what's going on in the West right now, Phoenix is really, really healthy and they're playing at a really high level. They're defending. They have multiple ball handlers and guys that can create offense late in games. They're deep and they're very, very well coached. So I, I like Phoenix to come out of the West. They've been so good, especially defensively in both of these series. And, and they're playing with a lot of confidence and have a certain moxie to them. Uh, that I attribute to the great Chris Paul, who has always been a winner, have hated the criticism that he gets for not having a championship. Guy's a total winning player, and we saw how he's changed the culture in Phoenix. Um, 
I like them out of the West and the East. Uh, that's tough, but Milwaukee's the healthiest of that group, right? Philly, we don't know what Embiid's knee is like. He looks really, really good, but you never know with him. And, of course, Brooklyn is super banged up. So at this juncture, I like Phoenix and Milwaukee. And I can't believe I'm saying this because Milwaukee looked terrible in those first two games against the Nets, Vinny. But if they are healthy, I like Milwaukee to win the NBA championship. Giannis uh, gets the um, gets the weight lifted off his shoulders and can finally establish himself as a legitimate um, big-time superstar and a, a generational kind of player. Because uh, just like Chris Paul getting all that criticism, I think a lot of Giannis' criticism is unwarranted. He's 26 years old. He's done a lot of winning, and it's time for him to get this group to the finals. Absolutely. Sam, uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. You know we always appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the uh, the hockey game tonight. I know there's some NBA to watch as well, uh, so uh, get your head uh, in in, uh, in there as well, and uh, we will talk to you down the road. Really appreciate the help. Really appreciate the insight. Take care of yourself, my friend. Anytime, Benny. See you soon. You got it. That's Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, you can follow his work uh, and all of our work, for that matter, uh, over at Vegas Nation um, through the app, Vegas Nation, uh, or just uh, go to VegasNation.com. Uh, we got you covered uh, f- from everything from podcasts to videos uh, to our stories to photo essays, uh, everything A to Z uh, related to the Raiders. We've got you covered just as we do here at Raider Nation Raider, Ra- Raider Nation Radio. Um, and you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahra. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a hot... I'm just... I mean, it is... And it's going to get hotter. That's the thing. It's hot today in Las Vegas. What are we, like 113 or something like that? Um, It's supposed to get up to 115, 116 uh, this week, right smack in the middle of Raiders uh, OTAs, or excuse me, minicamp, the mandatory minicamp. So as a result... Uh, the Raiders switched up their practice schedule. They will go to a more traditional training camp schedule, which means practicing at 7.30 in the morning. Um, You know, I know the Raiders love uh, uh, being here in Las Vegas and obviously uh, training in Henderson. There's a lot to like about the facility. Um, They had training camp uh, in Henderson last year as well. That was mostly because of uh, OTA, or excuse me, um, uh, COVID-19. The original plan was to stay put um, up in uh, Napa Valley, which is where they traditionally have their training camps. I wonder, and I don't know this for a fact uh, yet, but I wonder if at some point Napa becomes, um, returns back into the picture. And I say that because, you know, it's hard uh, having to work around, you know, the heat here. And the Raiders definitely have their um, indoor facility. But as we mentioned earlier, you know, the size of it, uh, it's one and a half football fields uh, in the indoor part of it. Just not real conducive to having a full on training camp where, you know, so much of training camp and for the fans um, that that have gone uh, to training camps over the years, you know, you've got a couple fields to work with if not more uh, and the outdoor facility here in Henderson is is three football fields so you're able to to really break things up um, in a way where 
everybody, all position groups have enough room to do what they do. And when you're talking about, let's say, Derek, uh, the quarterbacks and, and some of their wide receivers, you know, when you start talking about having to, you know, throw uh, intermediate passes and then then stretching out a little bit longer. You're talking about, and this is during the individual aspects um, of early or early practice, you're using a big part of the field when you do that. You know, you have to, you're, you're going to unleash it from time to time. And, um, you know, so while the quarterbacks and wide receivers, or maybe it's the quarterbacks and tight ends, or maybe it's the quarterbacks and running backs at times, uh, are doing their thing well over on this side of the field you got your offensive linemen or maybe it's just the running backs and then you've got your defensive linemen your linebackers and your and your secondary and everybody's kind of the special teams the punters the kickers everybody's doing their their individual grouping uh, for a big segment of the practices sometimes two three different periods and then slowly but surely it kind of gets um, you know, uh, condensed into now it's the full offense and the full defense kind of working together. Uh, and then eventually um, the team comes together uh, as an offense and a defense and starts working against one another in a, uh, you know, sometimes it's the 11 on 11. Sometimes it's, you know, two minute drill. Sometimes it's a four minute offense. Sometimes it's red zone. Uh, sometimes it's just full on. Okay. Uh, you got, uh, you know, um, full on. Let's you, you, first and ten. Uh, let's march down the field, and and defense is trying to stop it, and it gets really competitive. But the point is that you need a lot of space to get that done. Uh, so I wonder down the road, you know, if um, if uh, if if Napa becomes more, you know, comes back into the picture. It's not. You know, it's a great way to be able to stay connected uh, to their fans up in California, which I don't think that's ever going to change. But who doesn't want to go to Napa? It's obviously it gets hot there now. Don't don't kid yourself. Uh, it certainly gets really, really hot uh, up in up in Napa, but it's not like this kind of heat. Uh, and last year, as the Raiders showed and what they're going to do tomorrow, um, what do they do? They practice at 730 in the morning. Is that ideal? <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, you want to, you know, uh, teams typically practice. The Raiders usually practice around 10 o'clock in the morning. That's been their uh, MO with John Gruden as the coach. When I was covering the Rams, uh, the Rams like to practice at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Everything, they did a they would do a walkthrough during the day. They'd have all their meetings, lunch, their conditioning, their weight room, all that type of stuff would happen through the course of the day. Then they would practice from like 3 to 4.30 or so. Uh, John Gruden likes to practice a little bit earlier, uh, so it's typically at um, you know the ten o'clock in the morning around there during the regular season. But because it's so hot here during the summer, uh, and that's what he did. In, I believe that's uh, what he did over in Napa. I, I want to say that the practices, and all I could go on is when I was covering the Rams and we went up there to Napa to practice against the Raiders. I, I want to say the practices were 10 ish or so uh, in the morning. So that's kind of seems to be, that's where uh, John Gruden's uh, sweet spot is for practice. Have some meetings, you know, have your breakfast, get your weight room in, um, come in and practice. He probably does the walkthrough later on in the day, whereas the Rams did it reverse. Um, they did their walkthroughs earlier in the day as part of everything else that they were doing. And then, um, uh, and then, you know, practice to have their full on practice at three o'clock, but you just don't have that many options here in Las Vegas in July and, um, and August because the heat is so prevalent and 
probably don't want to, you know, the, the Arizona Cardinals go to their stadium uh, in Glendale. That's where they do their training camp because obviously Phoenix is even hotter than it is in Las Vegas, believe it or not. Um, so they do it at their stadium. But I think there's some, um, you know, there's probably that's not even ideal. And, and, and if you're the Raiders and that building gets used, is going to start getting used a lot. Uh, you don't want to tie it up every day, um, you know, having to having to use it for training camp, let's say. There's other things that you want to do in the summer. And plus there's turf there's grass you want to preserve the grass so there's a lot of a lot of factors to to put in play which maybe leans toward hey maybe the easiest or best of all worlds is just a return to napa valley for practice it's not going to happen this year um but um at some point i wouldn't i wouldn't rule it out nevertheless um the uh the raiders will be out there tomorrow at their practice facility in henderson um to open minicamp and uh we've been talking about it it's Granted, it's still June, mid-June at that. Um, the Raiders by no means are, you know, uh, all the uh, answer or all the questions that they have by no means do they expect to find definitive answers uh, between now and Thursday when, it, when they wrap up minicamp. But, um, you know, they have a chance to really point some certain things uh, in the right direction. And um, I think tomorrow is going to be really interesting for a lot of reasons. I really want to see who's lining up as the first team slot cornerback, who's on the perimeter, uh, and who those two safeties are. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Matt is on the line. He wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, Vinny. How about yourself, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate that. Um, you want to talk about the uh, the Raiders, obviously, and uh, I know you're in Missouri. Uh, I know that voice, so I know that uh, that Matt's <laughs> in Missouri. It's it's one thirteen now. I know that I've been uh, uh, to to uh, St. Louis during the middle of the summer, and it ain't no joke over there either. So what are we talking about right now in St. Louis? Uh, yesterday, over the weekend, it was like ninety five. It felt like a hundred with a heat index. I'm not sure, like. It's humid here. Like other in Vegas, yes. it's the dry heat. Here, it's the oppressive humidity where it's air you can wear, where you step outside and you feel like you just need to step back inside and take a shower because you've just sweated like five gallons. Air that you can wear. I love it. There's been no more wear. apt description. Yes. That's perfect. <laughs> um, That's perfect. Well, we all got to deal with it. So uh, it is what it is, and you got to make the best of it. And um, and that's what the Raiders are, are, are doing. So uh, where, where where's your head at right now with the Raiders? Here's, where my head is with the Raiders is that it's all going to come down to the line, offensive and defensive. The offensive line can, you know, even though they've got a, a bunch of new personnel this year, you still have Tom Cable, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in the National Football League, so you know that he's going to whip him into shape. And everything that we're hearing about Alex Leatherwood out of camp has been positive. So if the offensive line can still protect Derek Carr and give holes and buzz open holes for Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, then the offense should be, you know, close to the top ten again. And then it's all going to come back to the defensive line, too, because we've seen you watch the Super Bowl, what a a dominant defensive line can do, and you have a good pass rush on someone like Patrick Mahomes. You have him running for his life, and he makes mistakes, and he makes errors. I mean, that's kind of like the recipe to success, and that takes the pressure off your secondary, takes the pressure off off your linebackers, too. So I think it all comes down to that line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball for the Raiders. You know what's funny, Matt, is that um, we talk about this rebuilt mm-hmm. offensive line, and you mentioned Alex Leatherwood, uh, the right tackle, rookie right tackle. There's a new starter uh, at center uh, in Andre James, it looks like, um, and then Gabe Jackson's no longer there. Um, 
with re-signing Richie Incognito. He takes the left guard spot, and then it looks like Denzel Good or John Simpson, uh, one of those two will take um, that left that right guard uh, position. But uh, ha- having said all that, you know, yes, they've rebuilt the def- the offensive line uh, to some extent. But when you consider that the Raiders only got four snaps from their starters last year at the offensive oh, yeah. line, and, and when you really think about how. They graded out. Pro Football Focus just did their their uh, offensive line grades, or you know, I, there, there was an article that I was reading where it put that all into perspective. They were the twenty third ranked run offensive line, and they were the seventeenth ranked pass block offensive line. So even though they are rebuilt, it's like, well, what are they rebuilding from? It's not like this was, uh, you know, the the, the uh, an all pro laden great offensive line last year. Um, so it, it kind of eases probably some concern. I would I would say that I'm sure. Is that how Raider Nation do you think is is taking that, or, or are you among the Raider Nation fans? Well, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. What it is is, is the unknown. We don't know how Leatherwood's going to be. We don't know how Andre James is going to be. I mean, we, I'm confident they're going to play well, but it's the unknown. But the thing that drives me the most crazy, and not you, because. You're following the team more closely with the national talking heads. They're talking about like, well, the Raiders and their offensive line, and they traded away Trent Brown. I'm like, Trent Brown barely played last year. I mean, <laughs> yeah, when he played, he was dominant. But for the, I mean, how many games did he play last year? Five, six. I mean, four. It's, it's not four. Okay, so it's it's, <laughs> it's like they were hardly missing, you know, uh, Orlando Pace and his prime, you know, out there on the field. So. I'm confident in the offensive line. The defensive line is one where I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping that they have a really strong pass rush because there were so many games last year watching and be like, oh, God, the, te- the quarterback back there could do it. He could, he could do his taxes, take his bath, and write a book. I mean, <laughs> got, they got way too much time back there. But I, I'm, ex- I'm so excited about this new Rams defense, and I'm excited about Gus Bradley. And The season can't start soon enough. Yeah, when uh, bringing it back to Alex Leatherwood, he's really not replacing Trent Brown. He's replacing Sam Young, who's now his That's backup. True. It looks like so because Sam Young played more games than 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 uh, uh, than Trent Brown. So uh, it kind of is what it is in that regard. I agree with you on the defensive line. Um, that's where for, defensively, that's where it all starts. Um, if they can't get more than the 14 and a half sacks they got from the defensive line last year, uh, they're going to be in trouble again. I don't expect that to be the case. Um, you know, I've done some math just looking at guys that they have and injecting numbers that these guys have historically done. So Yannick Ngagwe, eight to 10 sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Max Crosby, eight to 10 sacks. Even though he's going to play reduced snaps, I think he'll revert more back to, um, you know, what he did as a rookie in less snaps than he played last year. So give him eight to 10 sa- uh, sacks. I think if Clee Farrell plays 17 games, I think he's in good position to get at least six sacks, uh, let's say. Um, I think that, you know, uh, Carl um, Carl Nassib can get back to four or five sacks that he usually does. Darius Phylon, four sacks. Quinton Jefferson, three sacks. Um, Solomon Thomas, you know, three sacks. But you start adding all that together, and all of a sudden, you're, you're over 30 sacks. And that's not mm-hmm. just from the defensive line. And that's not, you know, uh, putting crazy numbers uh, aside somebody or asking somebody to do something that they're simply not capable of. It's literally just guys doing what they what they are capable of, do- of doing and have done in the past. And if you, if you look at the, Ra- or the Raiders offense last year, it was top 10, not top 10 in yards, top 10 in scoring. So if, if the Raiders could just get this defense to be, you know, in the top, 
18, top 20, as opposed to like the bottom rung, they're going to win at least three or four more games than what they did last year. And you're talking about playoffs. And that's where the team wants to go. And that's where the team needs to be. So the defense, it all comes down to the defense. I'm, I'm confident in the offense, but it all comes down to the defense. I'm excited about Gus Bradley. I'm excited about uh, uh, mayoring the free safety. I'm excited to see what a more controlled Jonathan Abrams is going to be like. And I'm hoping for uh, Nick Wachowski and Corey Littleton to be completely healthy this year to see what they can do as well. Well, Matt, I really appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. Um, tune in tomorrow because we're going to have a full report from uh, that first day of minicamp. Uh, again, as I've been stressing, not the Super Bowl uh, or, or, or the most important thing, but it is the Super Bowl of the offseason. It's a really good chance to see where this team is after the two months of work that they just put in and right before they take a long, nice break uh, before training camp. I appreciate, appreciate the call, Matt. You're the best, brother. Have a good one. You too. You too. That's our, our good friend, Matt, uh, from St. Louis, a huge Raiders fan. Uh, always nice uh, to talk to him. And, uh, you know, you hate to be all cliched and everything like that, but it truly is. You know, will that offensive line uh, protect, be able to protect Derek Carr at a higher level and, and uh, run block at a higher level than they did last year uh, for for, uh, for Josh Jacobs? You throw in uh, Kenyon Drake uh, into that mix. If they can, the offense is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Just mark my word. Um, and then, of course, defensively, can that defensive line generate more than 14 and a half sacks and, and more than, you know, uh, quarterback hits? pressures, all the good stuff that comes with and needed stuff, important stuff uh, that comes with uh, getting after the pass or the quarterback. If they can, that's bound to help in terms of the sack final sack total. It's bound to help in the final turnover total and it's bound to uh, help in terms of getting teams off the field on third down. Those are three critical areas that really hurt the Raiders. They need to get that turned around and it really does, as Matt said, start on the defensive line. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Really interesting watching the uh, NBA playoffs unfold and... Um, what a what a battle of attrition uh, it's become, and you know, kind of like how important uh, injuries the, the the role that injuries have played in these playoffs uh, thus far. Um, I mean, you, you give me a healthy, completely healthy Warriors team, and you give me a completely healthy Lakers team, and I'm sorry, but they're the best two teams in the Western Conference. And you, I'm not taking anything away from the Phoenix Suns, and I'm, I'm actually uh, – I wouldn't – either them or the Jazz, uh, it would be great to see um, one of those two teams represent the West. Uh, those are two uh, historically um, – it's just that that they they they're part of the Western Conference. They've been long-standing, uh, knocking on the door. Both teams have been to the finals uh, in the course of their franchise uh, history. I feel like a butt's coming. What's that? I feel like a butt is coming. Well, it's just it's. I, I think it's obvious that 
health is playing a key key role uh, in these in these playoffs. I think if 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 the Lakers had their full ensemble of players completely healthy, I think they beat the Suns. I think they were headed toward beating the Suns until Anthony Davis uh, went out, and that's nothing against you know the Suns. They're a good good team, and and um, but it just shows you how important. Uh, injuries are and the same thing has happened with the Golden State Warriors these last two years you can't win when you're not when you don't have uh, the players that they've lost uh, due to injuries Uh, you look at Brooklyn they're gonna have a a a tough road to climb uh, to to prevail over the Milwaukee Bucks not because the Milwaukee the Bucks are the better team it's because they're the more healthier team right now they're the healthier team uh, right now and um, I think a team's going to win the championship th- this year, and they're going to have earned it. Uh, but it's just it's for the this is like I don't remember a season like this where injuries have played such a role where so many key players have gotten hurt um, this time of year. Usually, uh, you know the, the great players are healthy and they're and they're out there playing. Your LeBron James, your you know Clay Thompsons, and um, you know uh, Steph Curry, and and all the the great players that are in Brooklyn right now. Um, I, I, it's, it's rare that I've seen, and I can't really recall a time um, when, you know, so many teams have been affected dramatically. I could even go back Jamal Murray. People forget how good the Denver uh, uh, nuggets are when Jamal Murray's uh, out there. And, um, you know, so, so uh, the one thing, the one team that is healthy, that's not to me, handling their business the right way are, are the Clippers, you know? And so to me, they should have a, to, to me with, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as your top two headliners, they're arguably the most talented, at least the, the, the most talented one, two punch uh, left in the Western conference finals, but they're not playing together for something's missing on that team uh, collectively. So, um, it, you know, uh, will it be the Phoenix Suns that prevails? They sure are playing really well right now, and I'm giving giving it up to, to Chris Paul. Uh, he's been a warrior in the NBA for many many years. He's had some. He himself uh, has been the victim of really really bad luck over the years in terms of injuries uh, in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's it always rears its ugly head uh, for Chris Paul, and you know he got hurt. Early in that in that uh, LA series, but it was able to to battle back, um, you know, and and now his team's in the Western Conference Finals, and we'll we'll see who they're going to play, uh, whether it's the Utah Jazz or the uh, LA Clippers pivotal game uh, in Los Angeles tonight, a little bit later on, and then back east, the Brooklyn Nets were cruising, man, they were cruising until. Kyrie Irving went down, and yes, they're already missing James Harden. That's just too much to overcome, right there. One of those guys is going to have to come back. I don't know if they're going to be able to, though. That was a nasty injury that Kyrie suffered uh, the other day, and even when, even if he does come back, there's no way that he's going to be close to hundred hundred percent, barring some sort of a miracle. And James Harden, uh, the terms in which they're talking about James Harden, um, it doesn't sound like. You know, it doesn't sound like he's anywhere near close to 100% or 90%. He's going to have to get to a point where he could just get out there and play at a limited capacity. Um, so, you know, the the, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, who were getting beat pretty decidedly in that series, all of a sudden could be in the driver's seat, and it's because of injuries. I'm looking forward to, you know, for let's say the Lakers case. Um, to me, it's no secret. 
the Lakers played the furthest into the playoffs last year, along with the Miami uh, uh, Heat. And those are the two teams that both teams went out early in the playoffs, <laughs> right? Uh, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence. I, I, it's not a coincidence. They, they both teams were forced, and the, and the Lakers benefited by winning a championship. But I always felt like there was going to be a cost that was incurred to that. Now the Lakers will trade that championship off, that tra- that championship they'll trade that uh, or accept that and trade off this season what happened this season and try to regroup and and come back next uh, season fully fully healthy and fully rested. This is a, a, going to be an important time now for the Raiders and and LeBron James and and Anthony Davis to really recharge those batteries uh, and come back strong in a normal season next year. It sounds like everything that I'm hearing uh, it's going to go back to a normal uh, length, normal um, season in terms of, you know, how games are uh, laid out. <laughs> you know, uh, all of that was different this year. They tried to put another season in after ending the last one in October. There wasn't a whole lot of time for teams like the Mo- the Miami Heat and, and Los Angeles Lakers uh, to, to rest. You don't normally get much time as it is. Think about it. Seasons end in June and then you're back at it in October. Um but this year was you finished in October and then you started. I forget where they started, but it was it was a quick, quick turnaround. So uh, anyway, um, I'm not quite sure who I'm rooting for, but I guess I wouldn't mind seeing the Phoenix Suns or the Utah Jazz uh, win a championship. Uh, both have been worthy um, Western Conference teams for many, many years. The Clippers, uh, well, just look at their record over the years. Uh, they haven't really done much of anything. So um you know, they're not, to me, one of the traditional Western Conference, you know, uh, teams that you think about, like the San Antonio Spurs and Phoenix and the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, uh, uh, the Denver Nuggets. These are uh, Seattle Supersonics now, the Oklahoma City Thunder. But uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. But it's been an interesting uh, NBA playoff, to say the least. Good luck to the Golden Knights tonight. Um, don't forget, we're back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m., Um, We will be giving all kinds of reports, all sorts of sound bites uh, from what we see tomorrow, starting at 730 over at the facility uh, in Henderson, the first day of mandatory minicamp. Thanks to uh, all of our callers. Thanks to uh, our guests, Sam Gordon and Jesse Merrick. Thanks to uh, Devon Cotton, our great producer, for making us sound good. Uh, Thanks, of course, to Embajador Tequila, all the great things that they are doing. We will talk to you tomorrow back at it, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador.